Hello, and welcome to this FRDH podcast. I'm Michael Goldfarb. For more than half a century, he started when he was in high school. David K. Johnston has been an investigative reporter. He's pretty good at it, won the Pulitzer Prize. He's been reporting on Donald Trump for 30 years. His knowledge of tax and tax law is the wedge he uses to jimmy open the lid on corruption. He was in England recently, and I traveled up to Oxford to meet him and talk about Donald Trump. But since this podcast is about history, I started our conversation by asking him about the history of tax. Well, taxes are at the core of human life and particularly democracy. The biggest economic activity on this planet, about 40% of it, is tax. And yet people say they hate it. Why would you put 40% of your economic activity into tax if you hate it? Well, let me stop you right there. 40% of economic activity. I mean, when I think of economic activity measures, I'm thinking of GDP and all kinds of other stuff. So how does tax fit in? Well, because your taxes that you pay buy services. You know, that money isn't taken out in the Atlantic Ocean and dumped. It is spent and it is a major force. Uh, All wealthy societies have substantial taxes, especially now in the modern world. And the reason is private wealth creation depends on a great deal of public investment in education, in basic science, in infrastructure, in civil justice. Uh, uh, Tax is what provides the capacity for us to create wealth. If we starve the system, if we don't invest in small children, if we don't invest in keeping up our infrastructure, uh, if we don't invest in basic science, we don't get ahead. But what's interesting to me is that you actually have created a course. You, you did a course at Syracuse University about tax in the ancient world. Where does the idea of tax come from? Very early on when civilizations arose, the people who led them realized they needed to have an army to defend themselves against enemies and a police force to put down riots and a whole bunch of other things. And and in ancient uh, uh, Sumeria, what we now call Iraq, Hammurabi's code is full of business regulation. Uh, Everything in the modern world's regulatory system is in Hammurabi's code from almost 4,000 years ago, with one exception, intellectual property, because there was no intellectual property. But they had proto-bankruptcy law and trusts and uh, white-collar fraud and internal financial controls. They figured all this out a long, long time ago. One of the things that happened early on with tax was something the Egyptians and the Romans did, and that was tax farming. You'd tell the pharaoh or you'd tell the emperor, well, listen, uh, uh, how much do you want for taxes from this area? And you'd give the emperor the money, and then it's your job to go collect it. Now, You don't want to collect it in such a harsh manner. There's a revolt. The pharaoh or the emperor will have you killed. On the other hand, everything you collect above what you paid to the government, you get to keep. So how do you achieve that goal? You begin developing an intelligence network. (laughs) This guy's house looks like garbage on the outside, but somebody tells you, oh, no, no, inside is a bunch of wealthy stuff. He's actually a wealthy man. You see this, by the way, a lot in parts of the world, especially the Middle East, where a house looks crappy, you go inside, it's like, whoa! And so that's how intelligence networks got started, and that led to political families and control and a whole lot of other things. Uh, Tax is just fundamental to being able to have civilization. Um, uh, Taxes are the price we pay for civilization, as Oliver Wendell Holmes said, and I think he's quite right. And he said that he was happy to pay his taxes because they bought him more civilization. 
Not everybody thinks that way. And I don't either. I'm as unhappy as anybody about taxes. Property tax is where David K. Johnston's career began. Well, when I was a 17-year-old high school senior married an expectant father, a little throwaway newspaper in Santa Cruz, California, asked me to go cover the school board. And they gave out a press release that said, next year property taxes will go up by $42 and some cents on the average home worth $34,211. And I just looked at that and said, that's meaningless unless you own a house worth exactly $34,211. So I used long division to write, uh, next year your property taxes will go up by $1.30 for every $1,000 the government says your house is worth. And all of a sudden, this little throwaway newspaper got phone calls and letters to the editors, and I was off. So should I blame you for kickstarting the Proposition 13 movement, which is one of the, the, the markers? No, you're, you're laughing, David, but you know one, one of the markers on America's Via Dolorosa to this moment was the Proposition 13 movement in California. Do you remember that? Oh, I voted for it. Proposition 13 was about increased property taxes, and they want to put a cap on property taxes. What are the property taxes going for? To fund public education. What is the, the, the hook for people? It isn't the extra pennies on assessed value. It's that migrant children, migrant children in the central valleys of California, whose parents may have come in illegally to pick lettuce and grapes, were being educated at the state's expense, and the, the state didn't have the money. Well, that's part of it, but I, I think the bigger part of this was that um, California's housing market was inflating, and people's property taxes were going up, but not their cash incomes in the same way. And uh, particularly older people on fixed incomes were very hurt uh, by this. Uh, so Prop 13, which capped property taxes, also created these, over time, huge economic distortions. One of the beneficiaries of the huge economic distortions and the social changes created by the Proposition 13 tax revolt was a wannabe real estate tycoon, Donald Trump. Johnston has been reporting on him since the 1980s and is keen to see his taxes. Donald Trump's taxes will absolutely show crimes. Donald Trump is the third generation head of a crime family. This isn't a mafia family that breaks knees. These are white-collar criminals. His grandfather was a German draft dodger who lied to become a citizen and who made his fortune running whorehouses. He's a pimp. Uh, and he did, I'm sure, other criminal activities that we just don't know about. His father um, made a fortune cheating the taxpayers and was the subject of uh, uh, hearings by the U.S. Senate. And President Eisenhower threw a fit in the White House when he found out that uh, Fred Trump was ripping off programs to help returning GIs and soldiers. And, and Donald has been lying, cheating, and stealing his whole life. He's ruined many small businesses. Um, from the day I met him in 1988, I found him to be utterly fascinating. And I walked away saying, oh, that's P.T. Barnum. But with I mean, with one important difference. P.T. Barnum never hurt anybody. Donald hurts people. But, but he's like him. He's, he's, he's a promoter. Can you remember any details of that meeting? Well, not that meeting, but the next time I met him, I prepared for an interview with him. And I went around, and the first thing I was told by one of his competitors was, Donald doesn't know anything about the casino business. And I look at this guy, and it was a 
casino owner. And I go, how can that be? He owns two casinos. He said, no damn thing about the business. So I go to Donald's own people, and they say, oh, yeah, Donald knows no damn thing about the business. All he knows how to do is take money out of the place. So you think that the, the tax returns will probably show criminal activity? I'm absolutely confident. Because other people have said what the tax returns will show is that he's not a billionaire. That's that correct. And so on. Leaving aside the criminal activity, sure. because that's about sources of income. Well, actually, the criminal activity is not necessarily about sources of income. It's about tax cheating. But here's the uh, thing to keep in mind about Donald. Donald Trump told me in uh, 1990 that he was worth $3 billion. And I looked at him and said, Donald, how come you can't pay your bills? He had this thousands of people he owed money to, and he couldn't pay them. Um, and I broke the story that he wasn't a billionaire, and he called me a liar for four months until he had to produce his own net worth statement, which showed I was right. He had a negative net worth of $295 million. Or as I wrote at the time, you are probably worth more than Donald Trump. Uh, as running for president, he claimed he was worth between $8.7 billion and $11 billion. Well, when he became president, he had to file a financial disclosure. The first thing his lawyers did was ask if they could file it without signing the form under penalty of perjury. No, you have to sign. The statement shows $1.4 billion. So essentially, 90% of the wealth he claimed as a candidate disappeared right after he got elected. And I can show you that that statement is, in fact, highly inflated on his net worth. Donald just makes stuff up. There's an audit report that I have from the city of New York that shows he makes it up. He was tried twice for income tax fraud, not criminally, but civilly. He lost both cases. He had no evidence whatsoever, and his longtime tax lawyer and accountant presented with the tax return in the public record, which was a photocopy, not the original, testified under oath, that's my signature, but I did not prepare that tax return. What's his name? His name is Jack Mitnick. And that's about as good evidence of tax fraud as you're ever going to see. Donald had a, said he had a consulting business that had no revenue, but he had 600000 plus in expenses. Corruption is, m more than anything, corruption is the real heart of the scourge of bad governance okay. in, in our society. In every single constituent part of society in its broadest sense, whether it's education or, or the financial industry or politics, there, there, and it is corruption. It is the fact that the people who get to the top, I mean, Donald Trump is egregious, but there's plenty of sociopaths running too many things, um, possibly. Well, to paraphrase Gandhi, Donald is just an extreme example of the principle. Um, Trump got elected because of his racist policies. Somewhere between a quarter and a third of Americans really don't like the civil rights movement. They don't want to sit next to an Asian on the airplane. They don't want a Latino in the cockpit of the plane. And God forbid they have to report to a black woman boss. But you can't say that in polite society. Um, secondly, it's the, folk, the faux Christians, the fake Christians who preach, you know, that God wants you to be rich and don't care about the poor. And then the third group, the group that really matters, are the 90% of Americans whose income has not changed in about 50 years. But, I mean, the deep question here is, why do you think at this point, it, I think a lot of people do understand what you found in your very first meeting with the man. He just makes it up. He just lies. He creates his own reality. Why do so many people, now that they've got what they want, 
They have their tax cuts. They have two Supre one Supreme Court justice confirmed and a second. This is the religious component because, of this. Because they want more. You know, one of the things when coinage was invented because of the uh, gold and silver mines that were found in uh, Asia Minor, now Turkey, King Midas, the legend of King Midas, uh, one of the things that happened when we got coins is people who had one coin dreamed of having two. If they had four, they dreamed of having 16. So we just gave tax cuts that overwhelmingly go to the wealthiest people in America. Well, they're about to come back with another big tax cut bill. I mean, if you've got the power and you don't care about the society, you just care about yourself and your political donors, of course you're going to just get more. You're going to get all you can get. I think a lot of people understand that, but what I, I'm get, I, what I just I'm baffled by is at this stage in the electoral cycle, I had, I had him down for maybe two years, and that something was going to come along. The, the, this is a terrible breakdown morally, ethically, and I tell people all the time, if you want to deal with this, you have to get a new Congress. Will they get one in November? Well, I think the way the Republicans, I mean, the Democrats are going right now, no. The financial statements of the Republican and Democratic parties, they each have four matching big national campaign organizations. The Republicans in the last year raised a lot more money than the Democrats, more than 50 cents more per American, about $174 million. And the net worth of the Republican organizations together is more than four times the net worth of the Democrats. Now, given Donald Trump's unpopularity, the Democrats should be rolling in money. They're not. I mean, the Democrats are just a mess. You've got to admire that the Republicans, as the minority party, have spent 40 years being disciplined, getting laws passed to suppress voting, putting their officials into the places that control the voting mechanism. I mean, they really have been serious about their knitting. And by the way, I'm a registered Republican. And respect that they've been serious. Well, the Democrats have been a bunch of uh, dilettantes. I mean, I refer to them in, you know, there's that awful low-calorie beer called Light, L-I-T-E, and I refer to the Democrats as Republican Light. But there's more than money to this. Trump's core support is unswayable, and to outsiders, unthinking. Blind rage, says David K. Johnston. The, the key people who turned out and voted for Donald Trump, they are angry, and they are legitimately angry. For every dollar of home equity you added in the last 50 years, you took on two dollars of debt. Your job isn't secure anymore. Your pension got stolen, and, they, and then they stopped uh, uh, contributing to the pension, so it was frozen if it wasn't stolen. Um, your kids aren't getting the quality of schools that you got. You're aware that you're being uh, predated by people, but you don't understand all of this stuff in the kind of pointy-headed way that, that I do. And so people are angry. And, and lying? Well, if you believe that the Clintons lie all the time, then what's the difference with Donald? And sexual indiscretions? Well, what's the difference between Donald Trump bragging that his Vietnam was he didn't get STDs in the Vietnam War and uh, Bill Clinton uh, being serviced by Monica Lewinsky? To a lot of people, they're very cynical about democracy. And there's another one more important element. When you and I went to school, we were taught civics. We sat through junior high school and high school courses. This is how the Constitution works. This is how laws are made. It's textbook, but we understood it. We don't teach that the same way anymore. And we haven't for about 40 years. And it is a real serious problem that people don't understand democracy, government, self-rule. 40 years ago is when Proposition 13 passed. 
underfunded schools cut their curriculums. I guess civics was one of the classes they cut. And that's all for this FRDH podcast. My thanks to David K. Johnston for speaking to me and to you for listening. And if you like this conversation, please visit the website, www.goldfarbpod.com, where you can hear more and make a contribution, please, to keep these podcasts coming.